0: Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. My name is Jed Hearn, author of Across the Broken Stars.
3: I am Dirk Ashton, author of the Epic Urban Fantasy Paternus Trilogy.
4: I'm Rob Hayes, author of uh, Never Die and uh, The War Eternal.
2: I am Michael R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption, the City of Sacrifice series, and some other kind of booky things. And most of my books.
0: And perhaps. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Gareth Hanrahan. Gareth, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, applause. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm Gareth Hanrahan. I wrote The Shadow Saint and The
0: Glitter Prayer and many, many role-playing books.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: me. And today well, we're going to be talking about Gods and Monsters, which if you have read um, the Shadow Saint or The Gutter Prayer by Gareth, you will know that that is a minor part of the book. Um, <laughs> not really a minor, a very big part of the book. So I was wondering if, quickly, Gareth, for people who haven't read The Gutter Prayer, if you could just give a brief context as to how, um, yeah, the well, first of all, sort of what the story is about and then how various gods and monsters are a key part of that narrative.
1: Right. Uh, the God... What is it about? I don't know it's <laughs> Lots of stuff. Um, But it's basically the story of these uh, three thieves in this fantastical, sort of alchemical powered, quasi steampunk city um, who run afoul of all sorts of plots involving, what is it, gods and monsters. Um, The city, uh, Guerden, is this one neutral place in the midst of this titanic gods war, and the city's alchemists are supplying weapons and monsters too face the divine spawn of these gods overseas.
0: Excellent. All right. And uh, all the hosts have also written uh, various books that have gods and uh, monsters in them as well. So perhaps we could focus on the gods part first. Um, if we just want to go around and kind of briefly describe um, sort of like our main stories that have, yeah, gods featuring in them. Uh, so Dirk, do you want to just kick off first? We'll just keep this brief, like just, uh, yeah, short sure. introductions just so that at least there's no, sort of where we're coming from when we're talking about this stuff?
3: The Paternus trilogy is based on, um, I mean, many and most of the characters are from mythology and, um, they are major, many of them are major and minor gods, um, and monsters, demons, devils, um, from various stories and mythologies from around the world. So, um, I wanted to you know build try to build them in a in a in kind of a realistic sort of manner so that they were actual real physical physical characters in today's world so that's basically where where mine come from
4: which pick a series I guess I'll talk about the war eternal uh, <laughs> uh there's there's two sets of gods in the war eternal uh there's the rand and the jinn, um, and uh, they are two sort of different species, one uh, of which deals with very uh, sort of biological type of powers and the other one, uh, that's the rand, and then there's the jinn that deal very much with sort of elemental type powers. Um, and they don't like each other much, so they've been fighting a war for um, ever. <laughs> for uh, eternal. Times. Eternally a war, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's generally the other peoples of the world who get caught in the crossfire.
2: What The uh, City of Sacrifice books, uh, heavy on the Mesoamerican influences, uh, weaving sloppily between Aztec and Incan sort of uh, ideas. Um, the gods are very real, they live at the heart of the city. And if it smells like I've stolen things from maybe Lankmar and Castaneda's alternate reality books and sort of like smashed them together, that's just coincidence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So that's really been useful to sort of set the stage. Um, So I suppose to begin with a really open-ended question, what is it about gods in fantasy books that you find interesting to explore? Gareth, do you want to maybe kick us off?
1: um, The... Fascinating thing about like your know, sort of active present gods is that you can they can be, be like you know, either like you know, physically there in the world as like you know sort of divine avatars, monsters, whatever, but also they can be sort of like you know, active spiritual forces like sort of pushing the characters one way or another, inspiring them, sending them omens and dreams. They can like, sort of, be sort of like you know, almost the incarnations of plots, effectively, or sort like, of plot elements pushing things, pushing and pushing events. And because they're like, you know, spiritually omnipresent, you can't easily get away from them. You can reject them or turn on them or fight them, but you can't, like, you know, you could leave a kingdom, you could leave a village, you can, like, you know, stay overseas, but it's hard, not hard to get away from, you see, sort of, sort of active incarnation part of the universe. Um, and the other thing that's fascinating is that, like, you know, that, that's, as far as I'm aware, doesn't exist in real life. So you have this, like, you know, weird spiritual pressure that isn't that on the characters that isn't there in real life you get to explore that
4: and i think particularly one the, of the most oh yeah go sorry, one of the most interesting things is the way that uh you have saints playing a part actually in 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 your world gareth because obviously yeah you, you have the god well yeah shadow saint uh you have the gods um but then they they have the ability to sort of like choose sort of avatars as it were that are sort of like their saints and uh thought that was a quite an interesting concept
1: yeah i mean i i'm sort of, not still but like you know, inspired by um tim powers and, and a role for a game called honor armies where there, there are these basically sort of spiritual forces these archetypes and you, like you know the archetype like the master's man or the mother or the flying woman or the gunslinger or something and you sort of channel them um so basically i've always been fascinated by that idea that you can sort of align yourself with this sort of spiritual force and gain power that way and yeah sort of stuff that in but it, that that's sort of ups the stakes of like you know yourself your relationship with the goal it's not just a, a moral thing there's a a degree of like you know power power agency in the world that comes from being aligned with one god or another
0: and that's what's so fascinating about it to me is like there is something different about the conflict between a character and a god in a story as opposed to a character and another just more powerful character and I think yeah as you say it is that like those sort of uneasy conflicts and um questions that come into play where you're like this person is a, is a deity like should I be worshiping them like what should my be- reaction be towards um yeah this entity and it, yeah it, it does add like this extra layer of conflict which is really interesting um plus you,
1: you can't reason with them as well like you know yes that's it yeah if you, if you argue with someone like they might not agree with you, but, but like there's at least the possibility that they would be able to change their mind. Whereas, like you, know, if you have like the god of war, yeah. you cannot say like you know, actually we should be peaceful. Peace is good because inherently, like, you, know, actually, you cannot agree to that.
0: You're right. They're almost like forces of nature that take more yeah. of an interest in your life, in some ways. Gravity you can talk to. <laughs> That's great, gravity. You can
1: see, talk to. You, see, you, see, you still fall. you still don't fall off the cliff, but like you know, it'll change you on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow, uh, it's. I
4: I I find it fascinating how the you sort of different store different authors, different stories, different books uh, use gods in different ways. Because obviously yours are these very um, powerful, enigmatic creatures, uh, entities that you know sort of like take control of the world and try to uh, manipulate things that way. Whereas like Dirk's gods are very uh, different. They don't, they don't feel as powerful because they're sort of, they're more like, um, they're more like people, I guess, Hmm. which, and it's a, it's a very different way of sort of handling it. I feel.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk to that a bit, Dirk?
3: Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things, I mean, two things that always fascinate me about, about, about fantasy, and one of the reasons I love fantasy is that, I mean, so many fantasy books have gods of sorts, right? Um, and a lot of this just draws comes from our age old fantasy uh, fascination with mythology, you know, with various gods like the Greek gods manipulating human populations, and and um, and uh, gods coming down and mating with humans or animals or whatever, and creating these special people in history and and mythology, and and then the other thing that always fascinates me is that the different approaches that authors take um, to create uh, their hierarchy of gods and their world of gods. I mean, and it's the the one of the hardest parts as an author addressing writers that might be watching for me is, was how powerful do we make them, right? Yes. How, how much can they do? Um, and how much more can they do throughout the series? Um, and then also, do I wanna make them do I want to give them more human-like traits or are they truly just these all-powerful intelligences that can go like this and universes will you know pop into existence um, and uh, uh, the one of the hardest parts is is the progression and as as one very powerful God runs it up into an or Character runs into another one who is more powerful, right? And how they re- how they react to that because all of my characters do they my premise is that they they all all the mythologi- mythological uh, beings um, from around the world different mythologies from from every, every exist and some of them are still alive. Uh, but they've been hiding. Uh, so they've been uh, interacting um, or hiding from human beings or have in the past and they've they've all developed and they all have human characteristics and feelings and um, things that they can do and things that they can't do. And how different authors develop those things is always really, really interesting to me because it's so, that's so easy to screw up, um, yes. either go too, too far or too little, and, and to make them, if sometimes they're characters that are out and above, you know, and they're not really main, but sometimes, like in, in my story in particular, they are, they are main characters. You um, make them
4: very human, very relatable um right to the point where you know as a as a reader you 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 care about them you sort of like you know you're you sat there reading about the gods and they they feel very very human almost and you care about them whereas in in something like Garrus books they're obviously they're these terrifying entities and they are terrifying
0: particularly i remember one chapter from the god of prayer stands out to me a lot where a lot of the story is just focused in gurdon which doesn't really have a massive god presence in it um initially in the book, but then you do this chapter where you show the gods war that's occurring in other places. And yeah, just the level of power and brutality that is unfolding um, in this battle is, yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite terrifying to behold, especially because you're like aware of the fact that Gerdon is a little bit of a safe haven against this. But um, I'm really glad that you brought up that idea of power levels, Dirk, because that's literally one of the questions I have written down in my notebook. <laughs> and yeah, I was just I'd be curious to hear, Gareth, how how you have sort of managed that in your book because it feels like you've sort of done almost a very different um yeah, as as Rob says, you've done a very different way of you know managing the god's power levels compared to, say, Dirk.
1: I think the, the trade-off is, is sort of like you know, power versus effectiveness oh there the wrong words like sort of like you know sort of agency or part of control. Like you know hmm. the god in the god of prayer are like you know, supremely powerful certainly but their ability to like you know, affect your know, useful change in the mortal world is, is kind of limited because they, they work through saying something big like you know, a god of fire could like you know can't become, inherently can like you know, blow up a city but it can't build it can't do I, it's all it's only thing is is burning stuff so if its followers want to anything else they've got to either like you know trade with someone or belt someone and go like you know if you like you know, if you don't pay us we will burn down your city um whereas a like you know sort of more sort of classical like a you know, greek god where, where it's a person as well as being a god it may not be as inherently like you know powerful but it can like you know show up and go hi i'm the god of fire bring bring, bring me grapes and i will to your city you <laughs> <laughs> can, 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 can have relationships whereas a more sort of elemental abstract god cannot in the same way because relationships with the characters who worship it, it are insane in my books but not not the
0: god itself that's really interesting and I think Rob you almost do a little bit of a similar thing in the war eternal like even though the djinn and the rand are like very powerful they do need humans for certain activities and the way that they kind of try to get those humans to you know follow their commands is by yeah threatening them with the area that they have a lot of leverage in um we should be talking about monsters a little bit as well but first we'll get uh fletcher to talk about gods but before that we need a pause for our featured book for this episode which is by our very own special guest gareth do you want to tell us about your featured book
1: uh i shall i guess be quite shameless and plug my latest book which is
0: should we will plug it with you as well.
1: <laughs> the sequels together, apparently. You, you can't plug it even really yet. I see Rob heroically plugging it there. Um, yeah, uh, it's book two of the series. Um, in book one, Garden was fairly safe from the war. In book two, the war shows up. Um, it's more of a sort of, uh, sort of a magical espionage thriller in parts. Um, there's a heavy John Carré influence in parts. Um, there
0: are lots of and then there's like you know lots of things exploding. So yeah, that's book two. Excellent, and that it's is fantastic. Can they up. Up. Go and read them. Here it is. Uh, the link to that will be in the show notes, as always, um, or you can just search it up if you are clever and can manually find books that way. Um, Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you have managed uh, power levels with your gods, or just any other sort of things yeah, related okay. to gods um, before we move on? Uh, to
2: so. Power levels are dangerous, right? Because um, an all-powerful god uh, is, in a way, a plot crusher. Uh, <laughs> because nothing matters because it's just going to win, right? Um, so it's like like anything. I treat my gods like characters. They have their own personalities. They have their own flaws. They have goals. Um, tie it all to my contention that plot is a myth and the character is everything. But anyway... Um, So the way I sort of tried to get past that, at least in the City of Sacrifice series, is um, the gods are limited in their power, not so much due to, you know, their power being limited, but more fear of the other gods. So this is a post-apocalyptic fantasy. The world is largely dead because the gods have warred amongst each other pretty much at will and destroyed the world and so they've come to this sort of truce uh you know hunkered down in this last city and really the only thing that's saving reality at that point is the fact that the gods are unwilling to meddle further at least directly um so while one of them could wander in and change the path of you know civilization if they do the other gods are going to be like shit he broke the truce we're in there too um and so you end up with these sort of extremely terrifying powerful gods reduced to meddling and manipulating people um from the background uh in this dead world so i I think it's it's like like any magic system the your gods are part of that um you have to understand the rules and i think they're probably well for me not everyone loves a sort of ordered magic system but i do um You know, you you, got to have some, there's got to be some limitations there.
0: That's really interesting Mm -hmm. how we're picking up the same themes here of like, yeah, limitations and rules and like, yeah, from those constraints seems to come the most interesting stuff. The
3: the, same way, sorry, how, how I, um, I mean in, in, in book three, I'll try not to be too spoilerish. I do introduce a different level of godlike beings who could just go like that and change, you know, snap their fingers and and, and change everything, but they have rules that they follow. Um, and that's the only thing that makes the plot just make no sense, just like Mike said. Um, they've got, there are reasons why they do and don't do things. Um, and they simply believe that they can't, so that's, you know, there's once things once things become so beings become so powerful. You you have to be able to rein them in somehow. Um, otherwise, why didn't they just do this at the beginning? Go back in time and just make it not happen. You know, it's just exactly. you know I, I had to. You know, it, it's not easy laying that stuff out, but it is a lot of fun actually trying to figure those things out. Awesome.
4: All right. So uh, I feel like uh, it, it ties into the, the same idea of like having a magic system. You've, you've kind of like with a magic system, I mean, you can have the type of magic system where anything is possible and they can do anything, that sort of really soft magic system. But then, I mean, for me, that kind of goes the way of, of well, a character at the end can just be like, I win. Mm. Um, whereas if you build your magic system as a, as a hard magic system with inherent rules. Of what can and can't be done, then I find it makes it a lot more makes it a lot more interesting because you're not just waiting for somebody to come along with a you know an I win
0: button or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Do we want to transition uh, into talking about monsters, talking. monsters since we've uh, discussed gods at length here?
3: Mike is a monster. Mike is a monster. <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
2: So, actually, uh, Gareth, uh, I'm probably screwing up the names. It's been actually a year or two since I read uh, Gutter Prayers. I, I caught a very early arc. Uh, the Waxmen. Oh, the Tone Fucking oh, yes. Yeah, brilliant. Like, I read that, and that was, like, that was my jealousy moment. Uh, and
0: you said <laughs> it was absolutely stunning as well, according to the <laughs> cover blurb on the back of like, the Shadow Saint.
2: The burning wicks, limitations, and it was so... The human monster is always my favorite monster. That's why I tend not to write books with monsters in because I'm like, eh, who gives a fuck about orcs? Sorry. Uh, but, <laughs> sorry. old. <Ollie. laughs> yeah, sorry. Ollie. But like that, that was brilliant. To me, those were brilliant monsters and they were terrifying. Yes. Yeah. So good. I yeah. Do you want to talk to those?
0: Do you want to talk to those a bit more? Just for like readers? What with the idea? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: So my, my 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 day job, so to speak, is doing role-playing games. So I've made a, an awful lot of monsters for that, for like you know, various Dungeons and Dragons-esque things. And actually, Talman came from that. There's a very very obscure monster book I wrote like you know tw- ten years ago or twenty years ago at this point, which has like you know a very early version of Talman in them. Huh. Um, but I mean, with, with any monster for me anyway. So the key is finding certain, sort of visceral sort of hook that you can sort of like, you know, stick onto it that makes it different from, just like, you know, you know a, a thing of claws and teeth or whatever. You can, you, you, can be like a wolf can be threatening, but for it to be a, a real monster, it has to sort of disturb the reader on some level or like, you know, sort of uh, uh, create a, 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 a new or unexpected fear. Like for the Taliman, I find just the, the, the this, this sort of physical texture wax to be weird and off-putting. It's sort of soft and hot, than hard, it like flows, but it's a solid. And it, I I'm just personally deeply Freudian about being picked up by candles, but anyway, basically, <laughs> <laughs> just people all that and said, Right, like, okay, sit down on legs and give her a knife and a grin, and off the
0: And also, the relentless determination with which they pursue people that to me was almost a big part of what made their character design so terrifying is just the fact Terminators that they
4: were made, made out of wax. wax.
0: Literally, yeah, they were just, yeah, these like single minded guards who, if you cross them, they would not stop. And like that just added to all those other things. Amazing. The thing is, the
1: thing is what, what makes it makes so there is they will stop because because of it, they're literal candles. It doesn't actually come from the old books, out writing. Yeah, but they will burn down over time, they have to be renewed. So these are to have their like sort of like, you know, if they don't get you within like, you know, 72 hours or whatever then they themselves will be destroyed. So they, they're going, ah, must get, must get killed. That's why they're so relentless, because- That's true, actually, yeah. I hadn't, yeah, I forgot about that part, that yeah, that's part. good. But it, that, that, that bit part is, it, it, it mentioned information aside once or twice in the book, but it's not, it's never like a plot, what was in my head when I was writing them, that they, you know, they would not give up because
0: they're screwed if they do. Ah, I see. So I that see. was like, yeah, that it was, built, like, built like, into it their, their motivations motivation. and everything.
1: Exactly. Even that's, even that's very on the page.
0: Sort of viewpoint, almost, don't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I there's another one through there, which again doesn't show up a huge bit in the book. Um, the gull heads for these, um, yeah. um like you know, sort of human hybrids. I mean, on like the face of it, a like you know, what they describe the so like you know, sort of basically, like, you know, sort of muscle-bound wrestlers with the heads of gulls, <laughs> which is on the face of it a absurd and like you know, a silly concept. But I, I remember years ago, I was literally watching, watching, watching like, the birds or something, and there's a close up of this like, you know, seagull's face with like, you know, this serrated sort of, like, you know, beak and the tongue and the crazy eyes. And that's always stayed with me. I think you, you sort you of take something that freaks you out and stick with it and exaggerate it, you can make anything scary and disturbing and make you know, into a monster.
0: I'm really glad you brought up that because today my friend showed me a video of a seagull eating a dead rabbit. And it is such a disturbing video because you're like, how can this fit in the seagull's beak? But it does. And its neck like swells up and it's, yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> it definitely would make, yeah, for quite a, quite a scary monster. I don't know if this. Um...
4: Probably why so many monsters have eight legs because spiders are such <laughs> yeah. a sort of like, everybody is yeah. freaked out by, well, not everybody, but so many people are freaked out by spiders. So it's like,
0: well, the first and easiest way to make a monster a bit scary is just give it eight legs. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I don't know if this counts as a monster, but I also found um, the stone men very interesting from the gutter prayer as well. And as you've said, it kind of has that same thing where it's a, what did you say? Like a, a new and unexpected fear, which is quite disturbing to readers because it's this idea that you could become, you know, petrified in your body, which like it does exist with, you know, some diseases and everything, but just the way that you described it made it. Yeah. Very interesting. So yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I mean um, with them as part of it was uh, around the time I'd ri- written the book I'd hurt my back and I was like having trouble walking and so forth so a, a lot of like uh, that fear I, I mean it wasn't like that bad it wasn't like you know sort of permanently per- per- disabled or anything but just I, I, I had a little disc in my back so walking was extremely painful for a while so a lot of that like sort of feeling like losing mobility and losing and sort of feeling you know, something sort of wrong inside your body that was getting worse I sort of like put, put, that, put that onto the page um and that they like to sort of brought, brought as well like you know fears of being buried alive and so forth and sort of conflated the two but I, anything that is sort of like you know biological is going to be sort of like, you know, visceral so you can grab the reader that way
0: that is a good yeah way to think about it biological related fears um Opening up this up to uh, Dirk and Mike and Rob, what are your thoughts on what makes a good monster in a fantasy book?
3: I am, um, <coughs> with my books, I pulled them all from myths and legends. Um, and then it was just trying to uh, give them a, a twist. Um, I mean, I have some of the main characters are, but not necessarily gods, but monsters, um, like the, um, <laughs> the Cerberus triplets, um, and, you know, the, a lot more of them show up in book three, but uh, it was just uh, trying to make them, uh, bring them kind of alive and make them scary. There's it's one thing that I always think about is that there's this awesome book by a, a film theorist called The Poetics of Horror where he talks, talks about the inter I can't remember the name of the author. I'll find it. Um, he talks about the interstitial uh, uh, nature of nearly every monster. And by that, they're part one thing and part another thing, um, or part several things in general, um, even, even made up monsters. Um, and that can include part alive and part dead. And uh it's really, really a fascinating read. I try to I I I actually have seen that in so many books uh where, where they do that. And and then the kind of powers they have and the kind of things that <coughs> that they do are, of course, awful. Um, but they're awful in, in different and certain specific ways. And the things they can do and and the ways they think or don't think. Some of the most frightening like zombies, right, part alive, part dead, they haven't, they don't think, and that's part of what makes them so terrifying, and like Robert J. Bennett in his City of Stairs, and uh, whatever, I can't remember the name of that series,
1: and yeah, he,
3: he creates just absolutely fascinating monsters um, that, you know, that are like, like Gareth's, and like, like so many in fantasy, they're they're created, they're made up and and I you know I haven't <clears throat> had an opportunity to do that in my writing yet, and I'm always really, really uh fascinated by how other people um in their books do you know actually create these monsters um and you know what what inspires my inspiration is easy, you know because they are the agamouksa they are um, the various, the Nagual, the various monsters from all over the, all over the world, so, but what it, what inspires you and how you decide to come up with things is what really, really always is exciting to me.
2: there's, there's a level at which, um, because of, you know, I guess the time that I grew (laughs) up reading fantasy, I kind of think, like, it's not really a fantasy book unless you've got some sort of cool fantasy monsters in it, and yet every time I come to write a fantasy book, like, in the back of my head, I'm I'm half thinking, like, what's going to be the cool monster in this book? I haven't had a monster in a single book, because by the time I get into there and I realize that my characters are all the monsters due to possibly some obsessions and fascinations and whatever issues, um, it just seems like overkill like really like i'm gonna put together some sort of like cool now here's a here's a dragon or something it's like it's there there are too many monsters in there already
3: well but you're any you're, uh, in beyond redemption you have characters who are monsters i mean they're they are you know there are some based on their you know uh, their their personal personal psychological state um become basically where creatures. They um some of them are more just godlike, you know, burning and fire. And some of them are um can, you know, can kind of disappear and reappear. Um, but some of them are truly monsters, basically. I mean, there's like one guy who can turn into a pile of insects, right? I mean that's a monster. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's Amazing. still at,
2: at base a person. Yeah. You know, so it's a character. Yeah.
1: yeah well, uh, uh,
2: right.
1: I mean, an awful lot of monsters are like originally human. Like, there's a whole category of like you know, zombies, like, we vampires. I wonder, is like, you know, it's like, in like, uh, uh, addition to yourself, like, you know, there's one character like, you know, turn to a pile of insects. because he doesn't think of himself as a monster. Is he a monster? Mm hmm. <laughs> This is because like, you have to acknowledge you've left humanity behind or you're
3: clinging to us. And they, you know, they they, uh, <coughs> they, somehow defy, even the human ones, they somehow defy the natural order, right? Um, human, I mean, humans that we call monsters uh, do things that humans aren't supposed to do, right? Or they're able to do things that humans shouldn't be able to do physically. Um, so, yeah, there's that that hmm. whole... Interstitial, defying of the natural order, kind of kind of thing that always comes into always comes into play. Rob, do
0: you have any uh, last thoughts before we wrap this up? We've only got about two minutes before the recording runs out of time. But do you have any part um, of I mean,
4: nothing, <laughs> nothing new to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I've used Dirk's method before of sort of like taking myths and legends and changing them. Like in, in Never Die, I sort of like I, I went down a rabbit hole of just hmm. researching. Like, uh, Chinese and Japanese ghost stories and demons and all sorts. And then, you know, I'd, I'd sort of pick one, like I picked the river dragon and decided, how can I change this to make it unique? Um, mm-hmm. So I made it a big tangle of eels. <laughs> Why not? That was um, pretty insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then Definitely. there's other times when it's like, yeah, you sort of like, you you take a sort of physical manifestation of a um more sort of psychological type thing. I, I always remember like there's an there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where uh the monster is this this big grotesque thing with like a club arm and it's sort of it's it's actually created by a kid who was abused by um this this sort of like this adult when he was and he's sort of created this monster and in his mind it's turned into this actual monster. Um hmm. And things like that I, I find quite interesting where it's, it's more of sort of a physical manifestation
0: of of the monster within a person. Great. Well, um, we have to wrap this one up, but Gareth, thank you so much for joining us um, for our listeners slash watch If you haven't read the God of Prayer or the Shadow Saint, get onto it. Um, I have not read the Shadow Saint yet, but I love the God of Prayer and I just got a Shadow Saint today. So I will be, getting into this very soon um thank you so much everyone for listening and we will see you next time
3: <coughs> bye everybody
0: thank you for listening to wizards warriors and words we hope you learned something useful we love hearing from our listeners our email is wizards at gmail.com which you can also find in the show notes i personally read and respond to every email so feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode we'd also love to hear your questions Send in a question via that email, wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, and we might even answer it on the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people discover the show. Wizards, Warriors, and Words is jointly hosted by Dirk Ashton, Michael R. Fletcher, Rob J. Hayes, and Jed Hearn. Our music comes from Michael R. Fletcher, and our artwork is by Felix Ortiz. Thank you again for listening. Now go and write extraordinary stories. We'll see you next time.